You are listening to The Real Men Feel Show with your hosts, Andy Grant and Apio Hunter. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having. But you don't need to be a man to join us. The Real Men Feel Show is produced live each Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern for your growth and enjoyment. Listen to us on podcast platforms including iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. You can also watch the show on YouTube by visiting realmenfeel.org slash YouTube. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or subscribe on iTunes by visiting realmenfeel.org slash iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at realmenfeel.org and on Facebook, facebook.com slash realmenfeelshow. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Show your support for Real Men Feel by shopping at realmenfeel.org slash swag, by visiting digitaltipjar.com slash realmenfeel, or even text us a tip. You can show some love for Real Men Feel by texting Real Men Feel, that's all one word, to 504-226-5306. You'll receive a link back to complete your tip and choose the amount. This is a weekly program and your reviews, comments, feedback, and participation are welcome during the live show and anytime in our Facebook group, on Twitter, or at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's dive into this week's show. <laughs> I'm screwing myself up. I'm on a new monitor. I'm like, where's the recording insignia? I'm like, all right. Hello and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. It's amateur hour and intern night all in one. Um, I've got some new toys on my end that I obviously have not mastered yet. Um, but uh, <laughs> with, with all that out of the way, welcome Apio Hunter, my co-host. <laughs> Please save me. Howdy, Andy. <laughs> I know, the first thing you notice, you know, when, I, when we logged on tonight, I'm like, dang, you have a new setup. I'm loving it. Yeah, I've got a, uh, yeah, I've, I got myself a new webcam for Christmas, which I realized I had not used yet, and I bought this mic last year and the whole setup, and then I usually use my, my Mac laptop for the shows, and that died, and Mac changed their connections, and all my old mics didn't work, and blah, 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 but so now I'm coming to you for the first time recording on a PC, um, but yeah, I got my new backdrop, new mic, new setup, life is grand. Do you know the new camera makes you look like you have no hair? What? I also got a new toupee. What? What? I got shafted. What's all that bank commercial where I got fleeced and I got shafted and all those? I've been hosed. Well, I have to say that the toupee is nice and shiny. <laughs> yeah, the smooth toupee costs extra. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. All right. Well, in case you haven't noticed, our guest is returning guest, Mr. Jan Darwin Hutchins. And Jan, you talked to us back in February, talking all about the men's school, which was your, your group for masculinity on Facebook. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> yeah. cool. And you're back. So, you know, there was, there was one particular, well, actually, there were a lot of great comments. There was a lot of great, great conversation in that. But at, at, at one point, Jan said, um, the problem with life is that there's no end to the problems. And, and that caught my ear. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you why, because, because I grew up, you know, my teens and 20s, I was, I was very depressed. I, I had multiple suicide attempts. And that sounded like my, my old thinking. Like, my worldview was life sucks and then you die. Why bother to have anything? So I was surprised to hear that come from, from Jan. Um, so... You know, I, I think it was right after that show, I, I reached out and said, you know, what, you know, let's talk about, is, is life easy or hard? Is life simple? Is it difficult? Like, and that's what I really wanted to explore tonight. So do I, is my memory right? Um, were you kind of saying that, yeah, life, life is difficult? It's sort of what the existentialists came to realize. In some sense, we get thrown in here without any explanation. We've got a lot of theories about it. And here we are. And as much as I'd like to think, and I do think otherwise, and believe otherwise, and act otherwise, life is really hard. And 
terrible sufferings in all of our lives along the way, even those of us who have had really, have had an incredibly good life. And there was horrible suffering. Not like the horrible suffering that others have experienced, no, but similar. And enough to get me to really have an empathy for the blessing I'm experiencing and the relative difficulty of life. They're brutish and short and, and never as fulfilling as one would hope. And often horrific and deadly and malevolent craziness happens to people or just horrible things. A child gets an illness. Or, so that our life is full of all of these things that cause us to go, I have not just a problem, but I live in a world of problems. How I deal with them. I have a friend who, a couple of siblings from a, a children of a friend of mine, who say, there aren't any problems, there's just terrain. And that's a good way to hold. I think it's interesting, what did you do? I believe that people have to have something to offset the suffering they're going through. And I'd be curious what you did that allowed you to go from the spin you were in to where you are now. Yeah, well, it wasn't one thing. It was realizing that that worldview, that belief system I had wasn't serving me. I, I would see people that were happy. I would see people that were living as if life was easy and joyous. And I thought they were fucking crazy. You know, I, I, I thought, well, everything sucks because I'm a realist. Right. And, but I'm also, and what, why I really want to have this discussion. I, a challenge for me is black or white thinking. So when I hear you make a statement, I believe, oh, you're saying it's difficult every single moment, but you've also said uh -huh. that there's times of great joy, right? So, so by focusing on the times of great joy, I see that my, so much of my personal suffering was self-inflicted. It's what I chose to focus on. It, you know, challenging circumstances show up, but all circumstances are temporary. And I've really come to the more, uh, the more optimistic worldview of that, you know, in every challenge, in, in every shitty thing, there is a gift. So I enjoy finding that, and I have seen that I have grown through my toughest times. So I, I don't see them as, as problems and sufferings anymore. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's exactly what I was pointing to. The something that you came to, apparently, is that, oh, I don't have to suffer, and I'm going to do what it takes now. But it required a kind of, opening to a possibility you had blocked yourself from. And shit's still going to hit your fan, brother, and you're going to die. So the ultimate place, deeper than the, oh, I'm doing good now, is I'm living right now in a situation where I'm with an 87-year-old mother of, a, of the lady I'm with. And I'm watching reality in, in my eyes. She's done nothing to deserve what she's going through. You will have done nothing to deserve what you're going through. You can put whatever great, I've had a great life and put all whatever bandages you want on it, but it's, it's, it's gonna die. At least I believe that's likely for most of us. So, so I don't like to pretend otherwise. I don't need the yin or the yang, I need them both. I need the paradox of life is the most incredibly beautiful, wonderful thing ever, and it also can be the suckiest thing. <laughs> yeah. And have, have you had the experience? Have you heard of people or met people that had uh, good deaths? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Because I, I have too. And yeah, I've seen like my dad died you know, like six months ago. And it was gross and horrible because yeah, he didn't take very good care of himself. And he didn't have a great outlook on life either. And I saw, you know, really a huge amount of struggle in his last months, weeks and days until he finally gave up and let go. Um, so he- and then, a kind of, and then a kind of peace arose, is that what you reply? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and and, you know, from that? What did you take from that? Forgive me, Apio. Oh no, you're good, you're good. What did you take from that? That, that we create our lives and we create our deaths. Um, I like to think like uh, Wayne Dyer is, is my, my idea of like the perfect death. Can I just ask you a question to interrupt before you do the story? If you really, if we're in control of creating our lives and creating our death, I don't want to take you too literally, 
then why don't we not die? Oh, well, we are. Everything's temporary, including our physical bodies. Yeah, so okay. everything's so I, temporary. I get, the being, I get being okay with it, but I also get, there. I know some people who kind of wanted to live longer. Oh. Or some children who never got to live very long. And, I, and, I, and I, when I'm talking about creation, my, my, my theory of creation is not that it's, it's all conscious. I'm, I'm going to decide that I'm going to live till I'm 92 and I'm going to be healthy as, until the very last day, right? If, if I just have that conscious thought beginning at 80, you know, it, it's my experiences, it's my actions, it's everything I've thought and done that, that created. It's not just my conscious wishing and hoping for something. Good, good. So. Mm -hmm. Cool. And I, I'm, I'm loving just sitting back and listening to all this because there's so much going through my head right now as I'm, as I'm taking it all in. You know, what, for, the first thing that came, you know, that popped into my head is when you were talking, Jan, was you reminded me of, of one of the pillars of, of Buddhism, which so many people, especially in the Western world, tend to misunderstand, which is a lot of people misquote the pillar as life is suffering. When in reality, what was taught was in life, there is suffering. <clears throat> Not that life is suffering, but that in life, there is suffering. And which then you know, brings up the greater question, if in life there is suffering, how do we deal with it? How do we tackle it? And as, as the conversation progressed to this question of death and so forth, it brought up an interesting you know, existential question for myself that, you know, having been raised Mormon and having had that set of you know very deeply held you know christian beliefs at least from that that particular time in my life where death is something that mormons never saw death as permanent mormon mormons had always seen always see death as more something more of a, a transition from one state to another so i never really saw it as something permanent and so it really made it easy for me to really kind of take the next step past that and look at death as quite literally a transition. I used to be horrified of the idea of death because of know the judgment and everything else that came along with it and you know, you know, depending on where I'm gonna, you know, how I'm judged, where am I gonna end up and so forth. And and when my dad, my when my own dad passed away a couple of years ago, it was one of the, it was a beautiful thing. There wasn't any suffering, at least not from him. Of course, I wasn't present. He was in Idaho, and even though we knew that the time was coming very near, unfortunately, we not, uh, none of us were able to be there pre physically present with him when he transitioned out of this life to the next. Now, I love to use the term transition because it really is, for me, it is the, it is the death of a physical body, yes, but it is not the death of us of who we are, the essence of who we are, because we are so much more than just this body. And being able to feel his presence and feel that transition away out of that suffering of this life. And like your dad, Andy, he didn't take good care of himself, but he is able to continue out of this life in a peaceful state. And then really reach a state where he could be truly, truly the mischievous rascal that he was when he was a kid. And so the, before he died, he was mischievous. Oh, he was always mischievous. But what happened was, is that the burdens of that society placed on him of needing to be a responsible adult, a responsible father and so forth, um, really weighed down on him and it crushed him in this life. And that's what created a lot of suffering for him, was the fact that he didn't want, if he could have been just the mischievous soul that he was, the playful mischievous soul that he was, and do that exclusively as a father, oh, he would have been the most incredible father in the world. But of course, you know, our society does have a particular contracts that we make with, with each other, which is... Part of the responsibility, part of the expectations that are placed on us when we just choose to be fathers or whatever is to be also be the financial, you know, contribute financially and so many other things that come along with that. And my dad did it because it was expected of him, but it crushed him because he 
wanted to be playful and mischievous and didn't want to have to do the rest of it that came along with it. He had kids because he truly wanted to have kids. But man, everything else that came along with it, that caused so much suffering for him. Like, and I think it was a past guest in the show that said this. And like, you know, if you look, if you break us down to the simplest thing, we're, we're just tubes that take in food and put out shit. So <laughs> life is really simple if that's all you're going to do, right? You know, sleep, eat, and that's all you do. Life is simple. Boop. Right. <laughs> but society, expectations, and our choices, choosing to be in relationships, choosing to have children, choosing to launch a business, all these different choices create the challenges. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But if we were just going to rise with the sun and forage for food and, you know, and then go to bed when you're tired. And run from the big cats and deal with the diseases mm. and deal with the deaths of childbirth and deal with the horrible choices, which, which war to fight, which person to kill, which you know, it's not like it's ever been easy. It's not like it's easier or, or harder for us. We're, we're, we're just we're living a human existence. It's kind of always been like this. Well, I used to think when I was depressed and suicidal, I thought if I was born centuries ago, if I had to just focus on survival, I'd be all right because my mind would be distracted, right? I'm just fighting to get through each day. And it's all, <laughs> I thought the freedom of thinking about things and, oh, looking into Buddhism and, and looking at what is, what, do I, what is my purpose are the kind of thoughts that like tormented me. Interesting. Where are you on that now in terms of sort of the... Yeah, now I enjoy that. And, and ah. one thing about Buddha, because that, that was the one thing my dad quoted about Buddhism, too, when I was growing up. Life is suffering. That's always, Buddha said, life is suffering. And that's all the only well, religion he gave. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but wasn't the suffering rooted in attachment? Wasn't the suffering rooted in attachment from, from Buddha's teaching? Well, as I understand it, it's yes. basically the distance between the way things are and my desires. And what, exactly. That's exactly correct. Yeah. So the way that it boils down to is that, you know, you, as long as you wish things to be different than what they are, that's what creates the suffering. But if you can learn to accept things as they are, it does allow you for that detachment from the suffering. So that's where the detachment aspect comes into it as well. I think I might be oversimplifying and over and, you know, um, understating it, but that's, that's really kind of in essence what it kind of does boil down to at least that pillar of yeah. it. And that makes sense. I mean, we're talking about is life simple or is it hard? So you say, well, you can look at it simply and you can dig deeper and make it harder as well. <laughs> well that's the point. It, 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 duality gives us the illusion that it should be one or the other when it's always a kind of flowing thing between both. Yeah. Yes. Or just watch it or in some ways participate in it. It's a, it's a much better experience than if I'm fighting against it the whole time. Yeah. I, you know, it, it, I love that perspective, Jan. And, and I say that because I, I see my own life and I see the lives of people that I'm very, very, very close to and how we consciously, we do our best to consciously create, to consciously be aware of how our choices impact not only ourselves, but the people around us. And at times, things are just wonderful and simple and beautiful. And other times, it is just messy. I mean, one big, hot mess, and it's complicated. And it, that pendulum is always swinging. And even though the pendulum may actually be at a stage where it's jiggling as opposed to swinging a lot, you nevertheless experience both sides of, of that, that, that balance. But in the, at the end of the day, there's that totality. There's the yin and the yang. There's everything which comes together and creates this, this incredible experience that, that is our human lives. Yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a piece on the men's school right now, Shane Keller, very interesting, wise, for you, brother who um, he's living in the land now. He's really an organic <laughs> farmer and producing lots of food for himself and his neighbors. And he's got himself really grounded. And he pointed out in, in the essay, he, he offered a kind of analysis of our culture and how we had, from the early days of civilization, a kind of hierarchy that asked many of us to not be quite human. The children and the women and the, the, the strangers were not quite human, and the rulers are the people who 
in the church, we're able to have this power and produce a kind of hypnotizing of, uh, about ideas. And whether it's the idea that I should be other than I am or that, that the, the meaning and the, if I, we should conquer nature and no country, that all these stories stop us from being, I think, not that we would be better off by being back in a primitive time, but we wouldn't be hallucinated and, and tripping on so many stories about what reality is. Mm. Al Hariri, the really cool historian from Israel, points out that most of what we believe, whether it's nations or capitalism, religion, are simply not true. They are shared beliefs that very effectively allowed us to conquer areas in our world because we had enough people to buy into the distortion. And it's a really pretty convenient thing if you can get a whole tribe of monkeys to agree to, to take a little piece of the paper in exchange. So we live with these complex conceptual differences and distances, and it requires a show like this or deep men's work or sitting in circle to drop that shit and just look at one another in the eye and drop into some human place where we're real. And a good example, a week ago, Every week, the founders of the men's school, we get together and talk, and sometimes we record our blabberings, and, uh, meanderings, I should call them. And this time, we invited in three women, because there has been an ongoing and sort of natural conflict about the, the fact that we live in two different genders and how, the, how that changes how we see everything. And the conflict, and, and so we invited these three women to have kind of a knockdown drag out. I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what was going to happen. But we checked in, kind of MKP style. And by the end of the check-in, there were two people who checked in who were close to tears. So we went ahead and dealt with that. And everybody in this little sort of eight-person container, boom, dropped. And boom, dropped. And we shared our shared grief and pain. That's why I don't want to not look at the grief and pain. It's got something that's common enough for us to break through otherwise barriers between us. There are illusions caught in all these ideas and stories. Oh, you think I'm a black guy because I have brown skin and it has all these meanings to it. Or bald. Or Mormon. Or whatever. And those stories get in the way of us just friggin' relaxing and being together. And that's what I, that's why I'm trying not to, 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 to avoid the ugly or the problems of life or the, the fact I had a very clear feeling of my mortality today. I'm, all, I'm 70, 69 years old. And I'm having lots of experiences that I get to go, oh, this could be the last time. Oh, geez, I, and I'm not trying to program myself to die soon because I'm in really good shape, but I have to admit there are all of these things going on that I need to just relax out from under and go to this place of just being with two other men and Lori um, in a conversation. Hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. so, so can the, the, the challenge, the horror, the, however you want to put it, the fear of, of us being temporary, of, of our physical body dying or not breathing any longer, can emphasize the, the beauty and the fun and joy of life because it's temporary, right? The, this movie only runs for so long. So don't fall asleep in the middle of it. Well, joy by itself isn't really very much fun. Right, you need the, I mean, you need the unless, notoriety. Unless, I'm, unless there's a point B to my joy. Right. I don't get the juice that makes me want to do it. I just turns into an addiction. This joy and happiness of life is kind of a fortunate happening occasionally during a day or a life. And it should be soaked up and appreciated, certainly not taken for granted. Because lots of us, well, all of us have relatives who died for this, that we could have this conversation, sit free in our homes, say what we want, all these kinds of things. And it's a big deal to have all the joys and privileges we have. So enjoy the hell out of it. I, I sure am. Man, 
I can't let go, and this may be a piece of the Buddhist too, as a bodhisattva, I, you know, no one ever patted me on the head and said, you're a bodhisattva, but I think I is. Uh, it's my job to relieve suffering wherever I can find it from all sentient beings. So, so I'm looking for places that are suffering. It sort of like gives me, that's what gives me the joy. To like the Lone Ranger, you know, leave and they said, who was that uh, masked black man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, so that's kind of it. I think what I'm talking about is I'd be depressed all the time, and I think everybody should be depressed all the time, unless they're moving from point A to some point B that they think is worth putting up with all the crap of life. Sure. Hmm. You know, I'm I'm curious to know your perspective on the stories that we tell, Jan, because the way I see our stories is that our stories can either keep us stuck in a place of being a victim or they can empower us and they can help, truly help us create. In fact, I just finished rereading The Four Agreements you know, by Don Miguel Ruiz. And obviously, you know, the other four agreements are rooted on the first, in the first agreement, which is be impeccable with your word. Your word creates and destroys. So you hinted at that just now. And I'd really love to hear your perspective on that on, on, and the stories that we tell and how we can tell stories that not only release the pain, but also empower us to create what it is that we truly want. Okay, like I say, I'm almost 70, so I'm going to ask you to help me keep back, come back to the real meaning of where I'm about to go. Okay. I'll say, well, what was, what was I really trying to talk about? <laughs> what started the men's school was when I was having the end of a relationship, a marriage. And I, I went to one of my coach buddies, Dene, who's one of the founders, and said, I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm doing the best I can. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. Simply this book, Robert Johnson. And uh, he's not the historian, Robert Johnson. He's the fellow, the Jungian scholar, who wrote a book called We, along with another one called He and another one called She. And the small books, but they're all about the archetypal reality. If, if you believe in them at all. And that the, the anima, the feminine goddess living inside each of us needs to be the responsibility of the male who has that body to care for, nurture, and communicate. That will give me inspiration. It will give me the ability to nurture myself. And it will give me the ability to relate in the world. All my masculine energy is this vertical rod of truth and power and clarity and intensity and connection of the sky to the earth and all that kind of stuff. But this dealing in the, this dimension needs to have a feminine energy. And as I read the book, it came to, it dawned on me that romanticism, which says, this woman over there is going to change my life and create this energy and take this high of the early romantic period and it's going to be mine and I'm going to have that forever. We all know that goes away. There's some place at the, at the point. Now you can get that back at various times during a long relationship, but it, it has a, it's, there's a romantic burst. And then I come to see that's a woman over there. That's a partner over there. And that partner has flaws in this thing. Now it begins. I want to pull, ah, if I'm taking care of myself well enough that I don't need that partner to be anything but a human, I can stop trying to idolize them and turn them into some deity and actually have a relating with them where we exchange gentle, wonderful love and respect for them. Oh, my goodness. That includes, by the way, and I thought it was the key thing for me, this truth you were talking about, where if I tell the truth, I am, was, I'm a recovering people pleaser. I made my living that way for most of my life, and it's important to me to get everybody to like me. Less and less as I get older, but it still is a hook for me, a shadow, that I will be a certain way to get a certain result. I'll manipulate the audience and such. And in relationship, that's horrible because now I'm not being true to my word. 
I'm not saying something because I'm afraid it's going to start a fire. Get into an argument over it. I'm not speaking my truth because I don't want to mess with and bother the other person and then get them. So these ways in which I stop telling my truth are, I think, the ways. But young blood said, "That's the way you die." Come on, people, now smile on your brother. You know, it's the way we die by not telling our truth. Mm-hmm. It's like we commit a slow suicide by not speaking our truth. And I became, I like I think most people would fall into that pattern, passive aggressive. Whatever goal I did have in the relationship, I was pff, hiding it. You can't have any of this because I'm not getting what I want. You're supposed to be a goddess and make me happy. And it was foolish. And um, giving up on that, starting to tell the truth was all powerful and speaks into what I think he was saying. Now, did I get back to the point? <laughs> Actually, I followed you all the way there. And, you know, because yeah, speak, the bottom line is that speaking the truth, you know, our stories that are fact-based and speak our truths are what give us our power. And it doesn't even matter if it's true, true. Right. right? I'm not saying that it's actually true because my stuff is as projected and <laughs> shadowy as anybody's. And yeah. that's, but that's my stuff. And I can't mm-hmm. ping like a bat. I can't ping reality unless I ping the real thing in me. Mm-hmm. And that's how the men's school started because I came back to Dene and I said, oh my God. Every man should learn this somewhere in school. There ought to be a men's school where men could learn this kind of thing. And that's yeah. the, that was the start of it. And it's, you know, it's turned out, it's, it's continuing to be a pretty effective place. And there's a lot of good content, a lot of good action. And, um, and it's dealing, I think, pretty well with the boundaries that are alive between the male and female right now. Um, and we are actually, I think, facilitating some actual conversation in there. Like I said, the one last week told me more about how to facilitate that conversation than I ever would have imagined. And that is, if I can maintain my vulnerability and my authenticity in my truth of just how much I don't know, don't really know anything and just how much I do care about everything and just how much I will not let you cross my boundary and just how much I will be there for you and if I can just stay in that then that turns out to be a great conversation there are no fights in there there's there's surprise in there there's fear in there but there, there's really there, almost always when we all drop down we, we wind up in a nice pool of love mm-hmm. yeah yeah you know, just had another thought pop into my head. One of the, one of the seven habits, you know, seek first to understand and then to be understood. Yeah. Indeed. I'm glad he died in a bicycle accident in some ways. And he didn't, he didn't age out. <laughs> Indeed, right? <laughs> he gave us such a beautiful game. I mean, Kelby did so many good things. That book is meant so much to me oh yeah it i it was one of those books that had a huge impact on my life and has you know just laid a foundation for so many wonderful things that have happened to me i completely agree so, so jan what what's for a man living problem to problem seeing that life is difficult and struggle and hard and doesn't have that those positive points, those goals in between, what's, what's one tip to help that guy? Okay. So I'll give you two. Remind me to tell you the Jordan Peterson one, because you guys know about Jordan Peterson, right? I know the name and that's all. Oh my goodness. Oh, well, Jordan Peterson's got a whole act movement to answer that question. And remind me if I, again, if I get lost, that that's where I wanted to, to, to talk to you. What I say when I'm coaching someone is I say, take an exhale. <sighs> like that, like it was finally over. Like you don't have to do anything else to do. You can finally let go. You can finally just relax. Largely because we're all slightly stressed and we're all buzzing at a higher wavelength than is healthy. 
So if I get someone to do that, I remember when people used to come to my yoga place and they'd say, Jan, you know, tell us how to do yoga. And I said, well, sit down and I want you to do that. Just they do that and they get to where they actually would take a breath and they were, ah, ah. you can just see they relax. I said, next one, I'd like you to just fall over. Maybe sitting on the floor. And they would kind of place themselves on the floor, like in the way that they, because we're trained from such early age to do what pleases our caretakers that we are lost and never really relaxed. We're always looking, what's the next thing I have to do and accomplish it? Who do I have to please now? So I gave them permission finally after two or three kind of fake falls. I said, well, you know, kind of like melt. Okay, and then it's uh, never to land. <sighs> I said, well, you have my permission to completely let go. Frequently tears for having never been allowed to let go since what? Seven, six. When did we start that? I gotta get figure out to get I gotta get to college someday. For God's sake, they told me I'm going to college. Uh, I want a job. I want to pick a sign. Uh, and then I say, so okay, now that you relax, what do you see down there? And almost everybody goes, well, there's space and there's silence and there's peace. Oh, do you know what the word nirvana means? Oh, it's like the place where there's no more karma, this place where you're through with the cycle of birth and death. It's bliss. Do you see any of that down there? Dawningly. Well, I notice it's really comfortable. Good. So stay there next time and spend a little time. And people go and explore a place they have very rarely actually gone to, down at the bottom. If you follow grief all the way down, all the way down, all the way down, it lands in joy. And at the bottom of all this letting go, there's this peace. So then I say, so now press your feet on the floor, squeeze your thighs together, pull your belly in, and take a breath that causes you to fill the lungs. So go ahead and both of you try this. So squeeze your feet together, legs together, press into the floor, squeeze your legs so tight, pull in the belly, and then fill the lungs exactly. Take your up and back a little bit, back of the neck and head go back a little. You really open that chest and fill completely, and then let go again. It doesn't take too many of those before you go, wait a minute. All the stress and problem, problem, problem in the world bows in ecstasy when I let go and rest there at the bottom. None of that shit bothers me down there. It's all gone. Moments, I get it, only momentarily, but that's enough proof for me. Mm-hmm. And when I squeeze that line and breathe all the way up into the chest and shoulders and really fill it up, I'm, I don't know what you'd call it for me. It feels so like mag magnificent. I feel big and strong and present and ready to go and attack whatever comes up. Yeah. Those two is what I try to get people to do. And anytime you need to go down, go down. Anytime you need to go up, you can go up. The breath is really the key to all of them. And Jordan Peterson says, his, he just wrote a book that the first chapter of the book is stand up straight and hold your shoulders back. Same thing. If you, if we do this, like right now, just sit up straight, hold your shoulders back, squeeze your legs together, press your square up. Instant mood change. Instant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have the tools to make a big difference in our lives all the time. Mm-hmm. Peterson's the one who, who actually helped me. I started listening to him about a year ago or something, rather, and I'm fascinated. The guy's smart as hell. And he's, by the way, he's a, a total thorn to some women. I don't know why. There's nobody, I think, on the planet doing more to help men be responsible these days. And yet, for some reason, he still ticks them off. But I, that's a whole other subject. One of those mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> Another paradox. 
but he's he's a professor at University of Toronto, and he's on to this idea that we take the person you were talking about, Andy, and make your bed. Start there. Make your friggin' bed. Stand up straight. Hold your shoulders back. Let's start there. Mm. And get the person to start to do the little things that make a difference every day that might, just might, you don't have to write that paper. You don't have to conquer that thing. You don't have to actually ask the girl out on the date. But take one step in that friggin' direction. And he, he's broken so many people out of their lethargy, depression, and uh, lostness that he'd be really, you, he'll, I would think he'd be a hero for you because he's doing exactly the work I think you're doing with this show, helping people see purpose and hope and reason. And that is not supposed to be easy. And it is easy enough for you to do it one step at a time. And to, I want to bring this back because all of what you shared and what you're saying Jordan teaches, it's simple. So you do these things and life is simpler. It's easier, right? Okay. Because we're, look, I don't know what you got. I got blessed. I had parents that were there from day one. I could read at three. I, I, she was reading, in the, reading while I was in the womb. In 1948, she's reading in the womb to a baby. My mom was on it. And they did everything to make me believe I should be ruling the world someday. But that's not the, the way most kids get brought up. So many kids, especially if you sit in men's work, and I'm not sure whether you've had this conversation on here, suffer the hell that, you know, I, I don't know statistics, I hate statistics, but a lot of guys get raped. A lot of guys are abused as children from, by their mothers, by their aunts, by their uncles, who, you know. So, so it's a very fortunate thing to have not been wounded so much. It's hard to do some stuff. And you got to have somebody there that goes, if you just do one thing at a time, brother, it'll happen. You watch. Stand up straight. Take a deep breath. Nobody has nobody has any better credentials than you if you do that. Cool. <laughs> yeah, and that so so my parents were there for me, but while my parents were there for me telling me I could do anything, I was molested by a neighbor. So at a young age I decided world's not safe, can't trust anybody. Um, it wasn't until I explored that and discovered all these simple techniques to get in the moment, to get present, to realize, wait a minute, right now, I'm safe, right? Exactly. If I can go back, I can protect my, my little boy self and all of those sort of the, the inner work and the personal growth. So I came to realize now what, what I'm afraid of, I like run to it. When I'm at a program and I want to leave, I'm like, oh, this is going to be good because I want to get the hell out of here. I've come <laughs> to recognize all those old triggers as now they are the good signs. They're, they're they're, they're, they're not stop signs. They're the go sign for me now. You know, that's why they put uh, dragons outside of temples. It, to teach you that about life. The scary thing, go in there. There's where spirit is. Yeah. I've never heard it that way. That's neat. <laughs> you know, just this morning, I was reading i was actually no i wasn't reading i mean i do a lot of reading and listening to, to a lot of different things as i'm getting ready for work in the morning and um that was a subject that actually had come up uh, about running towards the things or embracing the things that actually cause you to feel fear and perhaps even doing so enthusiastically um it just it's like okay yeah bring it on so I had heard versions of this, but not with the romanticism, and forgive me, this is a positive form of romanticism. The mm -hmm. romance with the greatness of the human, the human instinct, intent. That, that's what King Arthur's Round Table was about. This is Peterson's interpretation. He goes, you know, when you're looking for the Holy Grail, the Knights of the Round Table were all told, probably Merlin, Go into the darkest place in the woods, the place that looks darkest for you. That's where you'll find the grail. Yeah. And that's what those stories, Peterson does a great job, by the way. I have to say a lot. I'm a, you know, I'm a Yale graduate with a fantastic life, and I've learned a lot of it. A lot of really smart people. And this guy knocked my doors off with the depth of his archetypal, you know, Jungian. Freudian psychotherapy because he's a clinical psychologist, but also mm -hmm. the depth of his historic wonder and ability to start to put things in perspective that allow me now to have 
here's one that's really deep. I was an idealist and a success. So I had an expectation of people that was grossly askew. Wrong, just flat ass wrong. And it wasn't until I did men's work and went into prison and talked to guys and really started dealing with the raw stuff, heard men tell their life stories like yours, Andy, that's full of all kinds of stuff that would have broken me, I judge, for me to kind of go, oh, wait a minute, this is serious stuff. And I got to get my act together around my expectations of people. People are heroic if they aren't shooting each other. We're crazy monkeys. Peterson says it this way. He goes, look, I'm just happy that you chimpanzees are in the classroom and not tearing each other's throats out. <laughs> and we have the, the lights come on and, and it's good. You know, if you really, like you say, you just change this whole expectation that we're going to, right now that everyone's crazy. Oh, Trump this and Trump that and blah, 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 blah. People are hysterical and wasting my time and theirs because shit has happened that's bigger and better in the past and bigger and better in the future. And we're going through this whole hysteria for not a real good reason. Mm -hmm. We are, we are making ourselves hysterical as though we should expect things to be what? Rosy and everybody get along and kumbaya. And I mean, what, what's our expectation? That's a good wish and intention, but it's never been that way. So why would we have that expectation? So we need, we need everybody to come together in one big men's circle. <laughs> At least the guys. Be still, be still. You've made my heart just sore. And then, and then, uh, one big animal circle. I don't, I don't, no, I don't think, I don't think of it quite that, quite that dramatically. <laughs> I do, I do judge though that circles where people can come together. I just, I went to my men's circle today. Circle and tell each other the truth. Unburden themselves of this inner dreck that we all carry. And in some way kind of go, oh, nobody yelled at me to go home. They heard who I really am and they, they aren't all hating me. Right. Oh, I can, I can feel a little relief from that. And this drop down beneath all the stories and concepts. I, I, right. That's what I got last week at that circle that, that we did. Because I, I so expected there to be a big patriarchy argument and oh, you met and and I was ready to just hold space and take it, whatever they wanted. You know, I get that I'm, I'm a victim too. And sometimes I want to rant and vent and I need to vent. Okay. And I was ready to go. And because we went to grief instead of to the things we could argue about, we all felt totally connected, loved at peace. It was gorgeous. Mm. I think I, that's a good one. I think to hold on to. Yeah, the, so the, the, the one tip that you've talked about it, and the one thing I would tell any man that just feels like they're just in the struggle, that's all there is, is to share it. Tell somebody. Because then you'll recognize that, you know, it's not just you. It, it's you hold their hand up going, me yeah. too, brother? Yeah. Really? You feel that way too? How many times in the circle have you heard somebody do that? Oh, yeah. You guys sit in the circle? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So if you do, you get it. It saves, I think that saves so many lives. You know, this incel thing, by the way, there's a, a post on the men's school with the incel as the topic that in, in, in an unintentional, what is it? Unintended celibate. And the conversation on there is brilliant. The boundary conversation that's going on around, I have PTSD and I need you to behave a certain way. You have PTSD that has no impact on what you being able to tell me to, to be a certain way. Uh, and all of the, the ways in which we're trying to craft a new way of being. One of the things Peterson says that's interesting is we're trying to create a whole new way of being. Since the pill, since women started to have this new activity in life, since families stopped being able to depend on one of the members being at home, all these things are happening, and we don't, he judges, I think he's right, we don't yet know whether the experiment will work. 
I mean, we're so trying to get something to happen. He says, okay, if you're going to have a workplace, can women wear heels? Can they wear lipstick? Can they, can they wear tight feet? I mean, what, what is this? What's the, what are the rules of this new game? You can say that. You can't say that. You should say that. You shouldn't say that. How do you, who? We're going to have to have a course in every workplace or something. I don't know how you're going to adjudicate this. Uh, and it's and it's evolving so fast, nobody kind of knows how to run the game. Well, most workplaces are having courses in what to say and how to be. So that is something that's actually happened. Like how to show up at work is things that are happening, corporations. From the elbow down, you can touch someone. <laughs> and it's better if you're a massage therapist. Can you ask for permission you're, first you're, only, maybe? <laughs> yeah, because if you're a massage therapist, you get a little frisky up here. <laughs> <laughs> But it gets so well. If we're saying that you know life is full of challenges, well then work right. Everything is going to be changed. I mean, the in in my perspective, the only constant in life is change. And when you can welcome that, ideally you can welcome it, and then at 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 worst perhaps tolerate it. Um, life is is easier. Mm-hmm. But if you're like I go to work like this, and it should never change, and I get to say this, and you're just like that, and I'm in charge, and it's almost the, insisting on a past experience being your experience today and all future days is what makes it not work. Well, see, just what you just said, there's a bunch of stuff in there. How are we going to run this if my saying what it is today is not true? Mm-hmm. And everybody in the organization, if I'm supposedly running this organization, I said, well, this, today this is true. Everyone goes, well, today I don't feel like it's the truth. <laughs> Got to listen to your people, right? And as, as group, you, you decide that it's right or it's wrong, or yeah, you go start a new company. <laughs> oh, interesting. You're, you're, you're good, Andy. I like your slick. <laughs> Back it up, though, really answer. What do, what do you do? You're the, you're the leader of the company. You're, you're the leader of the company, and you're saying, uh, I'll be here this week, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And he says, I just think that I'm working. Yeah, I th- it, it's mm-hmm. you know, speaking truth to power. Right? A, a good leader can listen to people that are on the front lines, that are having different experiences. Actually, you know, the business environment is changing. The economy is changing. Society is changing. Right. You know, you've got to be open to that as a leader. So what you're saying is what I'm hoping you're saying, and that is it's a flowing result. It's a kind of depends yes. almost on how you feel that day as to how you will be able to handle or manage or lead Apio into kind of seeing your way. But it's not a... It's not sword. There's harp in there. Right? Yeah. You get you get sword and harp. Yep. The sword is the masculine, and the harp is the feminine. Yeah. You got to right. have sword and harp in right. all our religions. Right. It's not, and right. Yeah. and you know wh- how I and still think this is how it's going. Like li- life isn't just simple. Life isn't just hard. You're not just masculine. You're not just feminine. It's not just the sword. It's not just the harp. Right. And by using your your just exhale. So. If, if you're the CEO and you're challenged by people saying you can't say that anymore and you can't act that way and you oh, breathe, let it go. All right. Now in this moment, I can receive this new information and make a new decision point. Right. Because I, I, I think we're in a pandemic. I think we are unconsciously in a hysterical state. Mm. So many have been traumatized. So many have been wounded. And we are all quick to react and go into a kind of post-traumatic stress, reliving the original event in the place of what's going on now, adding all that energy to what's going on now, or broken and unable to really actualize in ways that we get blamed for. And look at my, I'm going kind of, because that's, I've watched people in life and I go, how do they take it? How do they take that? And uh, I'm like I said, my my expectations have lowered so much that I can be Andy. And I think he, did that have anything to do with your coming to your place that you lowered your expectations about the way things should be in the world? Uh, no, I think I'm the opposite. My expectations were life sucks and then I die. Why? So my my a common thing my dad told me growing up was high school the best years of your life. Now, I didn't, only as an adult to realize, oh, he was 19 and 20 telling me that. So he didn't have much more experience than that. 
But I grew up, I'm, you know, I'm head to high school. I'm depressed. I'm miserable. And I'm like, well, if, why, why live beyond, why live years beyond the best time of my life? That's cool. That's way cool. Was there some arc, was there some a particular event that switched, that, that turned the switch for you? Yeah, it, it was after my fifth quote unquote failed suicide attempt. I had to realize, I, well, I'm not good at this either. There's got to be a better way to live my life, right? And that's... I, I laugh, but that's really why yeah, yeah. guys are more successful. They don't want to be the... They don't want to do what you did. So good, you failed five times. And then so, I, I, so I raised my expectations that life could be better than how I'd been living and perceiving it. Why? Because thinking it all sucked wasn't... Thinking it sucked and trying to get out wasn't working. Some, you, something you, bigger you, than you, me you, was making me stay. That's, that's you, you've, been, you've been irrational all that time, and then suddenly you become rational? It's not suddenly. Again, it's after years of suicide. <laughs> it wasn't suddenly. It was a journey. I was you a slow learner in that respect. Suicide steps, okay. Was there anything particular about the fifth one? Did you actually then say, I can't even do this right, and then kind of in a minute? Yeah, my guy, like, um, th this isn't working. I keep doing it. What the fuck's wrong with me? Like, so it, whatever the fuck was wrong with me was not something I'd been looking at. You know what I mean? Thinking that everything just stunk and wanting out is what I thought was wrong. And that proved not to be what was wrong. I, I, I'm sorry for bothering you, but I'm really curious about, but what was it that caused you to not look at, keep looking there? Uh, I'd I, I put it in terms of, of like AA. It, it, I finally hit emotional rock bottom. I've, I've made all these attempts. The, the only thing I could think of was me trying to check out. I've tried to check out multiple times. Life, God, so, you know, something's not letting me. So I said, all right, well, then I'm, there must be a point for me to be here, and it's not just to die. Okay, that's what I was looking for. You came to the... Because you couldn't check out, there must be some point for right. me being here. I had to raise my expectations. Point. See, Peterson, as a clinical psychologist, talks about ultimately all we're really doing, the way we get all our use in life, is to go from point A to point B. And the progress we make toward B is what we call happy. Yeah. And, and even when we get to B, now we're kind of in a, another existential crisis. Now where do I go? But this idea of well, there must be something. There, I can't get out of this friggin' game. There must be some reason I'm here. Let me go find it. Yeah. Thank you. That's, and, and thanks for me nagging at you to get <laughs> I like your nagging. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying just sitting back and listening right now. <laughs> it's, been, it's been good to have this front row seat. <laughs> so, so well, Apio, let me, let me ask you. Do, do you have yeah. a, a tip for for the man that just is in the sludge and thinks that's all that life is? To be completely honest. Yes. I always, I always start for me. It's always start of, I, I start at, okay. If you know, the, the popular definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So for me, I start at, okay, how can I do something differently? How can I be the change that I want to see, but do it myself? Not expect somebody else to do it, but how can I just do it myself? How can I create this for myself? That's, that's, that's always been my starting point for me. And even though I've had, it's been a long time for me to be able to reach a point where I can really articulate it in that particular way. That for me is, is that starting point. That's the advice that I would give is just ask yourself a simple question. If what everything that I've been doing up to this point has not been working or continuously creates the results that I'm getting, what can I do that's a little differently? What can I do to be instead of, how can I be that change right now that will make things a little better for myself right now and then how can i adjust my story how can i tell a slightly different story which is part of being that change how can i be conscious and aware so i can create consciously how can i 
live in the now? How can I understand that, you know, where I send and spend my energy, how can I do that mindfully? You know, because what you focus on expands. Those are, of course, all extensions of that. But, it, 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 you know, they all kind of feed into the what can I start doing differently now? How can I live differently now? In baby steps, baby steps. So that's, all right, so because my first, like, just because I know I was there, I was, I was saying all that. I I can't change. This is how it is. There's no change. <laughs> so I think the baby steps are the exactly like for instance, a change in the story. No, it's changing the story, and it can be a tiny little shift. You guys, you guys ever have Dispenza, Joe Dispenza on? Yeah, I love Joe Dispenza. Yeah, I mean, I think his work is the best I've run into about making change in one's life. This idea of I must actually. I believe most of this stuff happens in the body and he does too. So it's, I've mm-hmm. got to change how I use and think and apprehend the world with my body. Mm-hmm. So I've got to, he, he asks us to get up first thing in the morning. Well, not get up until you've breathed into the, your body and convinced it that it's going to be this new way on this day. Yep. That's cool. That's kind of why I, I always use the body stuff. It's an exhale to let go of all the pretense, all the nervousness, all the story, all the history. Oh, well, from here, it's clean and fresh. It's a, it's a beautiful moment. I can breathe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. And up here, I go, oh, from up here, the way the Spencer puts it is once you're up here, go, what needs to be done? Mm-hmm. And Peterson adds that I can do and want to do anything I yes. want to do, can do, and should do. Just do one of those. Yeah. And just keep doing, just keep doing that over and over again for the, for a week, just do that for a week. And at the end of that week, you'll go, shit, my room is clean. My <laughs> <What> is clean. <laughs> you know, hot day. I called, I finally called that girl. You know, Andy and I have a mutual friend, Havelin Russell, um, Andy. Um, she used that very, very principle to bring her, I mean, her story is so incredible and remarkable. And I'll let her tell the story. But one of the things that she taught me as she was staring, sharing the story is a little technique that she learned from her therapist, which was to simply celebrate every tiny success no matter how tiny it was so know that what could know you know what do i want to do what could i do what should i do you know and okay i want to get out of bed and then the moment you make that decision to get out of bed to celebrate it's like yay me i got out of bed yay me i brushed my teeth yay me i made breakfast yay me i actually stepped outside every single thing can be turned into a celebration to help reinforce I, I, I did that technique as, as a, as, I think it was in junior high or high school, except it was with masturbation. I would celebrate with masturbation every day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got out of bed. Okay. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> hey, give yourself a That's not more. true, but it was yeah. just so funny. <laughs> yeah, you. We won't ask for a demo of that technique. <laughs> How happy are you? Right? <laughs> you happy to see me? <laughs> All right. Well, this, this has been a, this is, this was better than my expectations. Um, I think we've had a, a, a deep philosoph- philosophical conversation, but as well having really concrete steps and, and advice that people can follow. Does that feel true? Amen. I think so. I feel it's good. I, I, I very much, so I'm only reading it on one filter. I, I, my purposefulness is not very strong in these days in terms of I'm trying to make sure I get something done out there. It's much more around, am I just, am I just relaxed and amused? And I, I, just, I, was, I was relaxed and amused for an hour. Thank you so much. <laughs> Again, that sounds like a wonderfully simple way to live. <laughs> I love it. Cool. So just realize, you know, life can be simple. Life can be hard. Um, it's not going to be one or the other. It is both. It is gray. But, but I like to think that, that we can navigate and drive the ship more than I used to think for sure. Right. And and even if you can't, why not try? <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Yeah.
play in the paradox. Yep. Cool. <laughs> so, brothers. Thank you. Thank you very much, Shane, for joining us. Thank you, Apio. And uh, always. Yeah. So, so go out there and, and if you're in difficulties, find a way to make it more fun, more tolerable, more something. But yeah, you can change. <laughs> we, we are living proof. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Lord. Thanks, yes, everyone. So have a great fun. night. You guys have a good night. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Until next week, visit realmenfeel.org or the Real Men Feel Facebook group and share what you thought of this episode. Please give this podcast a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel. Reach out to us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Show us some love by visiting realmenfeel.org slash swag or digitaltipjar.com slash realmenfeel. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com and Apio Hunter at apiohunter.com.